Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk. I am so excited for you to join me for today's episode. I have a very special guest, Dr. Lee Stevens, who is a licensed psychologist. So thank you, Dr. Stevens, for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm excited. I always like being able to talk with a psychologist and talk about my research and psychology. It's always a fun time for me. I love connecting with other psychologists and mental health professionals as well. And um, well, I was going to say something, but I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit about your background and what you do before we dive into more things. Sure. So, you know, I, I trained as a psychologist, probably similar to you. And then uh, after I did my internship, which is kind of your last year of training where you go and you work as a psychologist for a year, I was really interested in kind of um, neuroscience, understanding kind of the biology of the brain more. So I did a postdoc at a VA in North Carolina, not very far from where you are at the Salisbury VA. And that was in kind of neuroimaging, uh, neuropsychology. And so I looked at the anteriors and the cortex, and I really tried to understand how to apply uh, neuroscience to psychotherapy. And that kind of launched my uh, background in this. And I, I've taught you know, at universities teaching about this. I've worked in uh, various settings, counseling centers, hospitals, uh, the VA. Um, and I recently um, wrote a book about this. So I'm excited to, you know, share more about it. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm glad you brought up North Carolina because we have a lot of connections like area-wise. So yeah, you're from Worcester, right? Practice, yes, in the city I grew yeah, up I um, in yeah. Worcester, Massachusetts. And then um, I believe you got your doctorate in Tennessee, Correct. Yeah, so I went to Tennessee State. You, and you I went to East, East Tennessee, Tennessee State. State. <laughs> <laughs> so all of these random geographical connections. Um, so um, so based off of that, obviously, you just said um, neuroscience and applying it to psychotherapy. So what are your clinical interests? Sure. So I guess like as a clinician, I'm kind of a generalist. I work mostly with adults, but I see all kind of different types of um, disorders and pathology. But in terms of like where, you know, I get my influences, I'd say, um, you know, clinicians, psychologists like Leslie Greenberg and Diane Fosha, who work with emotion. Um, And this kind of started from like an interpersonal approach, uh, you know, when I trained in my internship and then noticing that when I used interventions that were more emotion based and I focused more on the patient's emotions, that I was actually being more effective and I felt that I was able to achieve a lot more and get much better um, client outcomes when I took those approaches um, as opposed to some of the, tradition, the traditional approaches I learned during my master's degree and PhD. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that your answer was 
more of an approach, like that's your clinical focus, the way you approach things rather, because I usually, when I ask that question, it's like, and I answer this, this way too. I work with X, Y, or Z disorders and the fact that you talk about emotions and we're going to get into that. Um, yeah, because I think on. emotions kind of take on this like trans, I don't know, diagnostic approach where they, you, they're uh, seen in a variety of disorders. And mm-hmm. so I look more like what's going on in the emotion in the brain rather than what's the diagnostic label when I see a patient. I say, well, we can, we can call it depression if you want, but the main thing is we want you to feel better. So mm-hmm. the label is less important than you feeling better. Exactly. I have so many thoughts right now, just kind of about how we have to diagnose for insurance purposes and like, what are the benefits of a diagnosis versus what you're basically saying is like, we want our patients to feel better. Right. Yeah, I've had and function say, better. Oh, thank God. There's a diagnosis for this. That's great. Or, Oh no, am I really depressed? Oh, I don't want that diagnosis. And I say, don't worry about that. You know, the main thing is improving your experience. I love that. Um, And I think that's a really great segue into what we're going to be talking about for the bulk of this uh, episode is effective neuroscience. So can you define for listeners what effective neuroscience is, first of all? Okay. Yeah. That's kind of a new term, right? So affective is just affect and that encompasses feelings and emotions. And there's some debate out there about what a feeling is versus an emotion and what constitutes what. And um, one way to think about it is, is emotion is kind of more visceral. It's kind of like your first experience. So it's like, oh, your initial response might be like your, your emotion. And then if you look at how what happens in the brain, then it kind of develops into kind of a feeling, which is more integrated with the cognition, more integrated with your kind of like higher order cortical processes and thinking about like what, what is this like? So some of us, you know, we love feeling scared. It's fun. We love to go watch scary movies. And other of us, like, we hate it. Like, we do not want to be scared, right? And so the emotion might be like, you know, scared, right? But then the feeling might be like, what, what's that experience like for us? And some of us, like, no, we don't want to feel scared. And other of us, like, feeling scared is awesome. So you can think about that. Affect encompasses all of that, because I'm interested in all of that. And neuroscience is just like, you know, this gets confused like neurobiology and neurochemistry, but it's really looking at more like the anatomical parts of your brain. So less about the neurotransmitters, which you might think of with like psychiatry and antidepressant drugs, and more looking at what, how do the different brain areas interact? And what does that mean for the person? And can we change uh, how these areas interact and how they work for more successful outcomes in therapy? So that's really what I'm focused on. I love that. And thank you so much for kind of defining and differentiating the difference between emotion and feeling. Cause I think we use those words. So interchangeably. Yeah, I use interchangeably. I don't think about it, but if you go to the, the, the kind of the textbook and all that, that's what they're going to say. But then mm-hmm. people use them interchangeably. I've read them in different papers, different people say different things. So, you know, take away the grain of salt. Yeah. And the example you gave was great. Cause I'm one of those people, like I hate scary movies. I hate haunted houses. <laughs> um, and all that, but I know some other people like get a thrill from that, even though the emotion underlying is the same. Yeah. So the same emotion can kind of produce different feelings, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, definitely. So you've already mentioned this um, when you were introducing yourself, but you recently wrote a book, Effective Neuroscience and Psychotherapy, A Clinician's Guide for Working with Emotions. 
So first of all, what inspired you to write this book? And then why did you feel it was important to do so? Yeah, I never really set out to write a book. I was never interested in that. But it all started, I was doing, um, I was doing group therapy. I was working at a, a clinic here in Worcester, Reliant Medical Center, and I was developing a group. And I wanted to kind of have a focus and I wanted something that would fit everybody. And so I started kind of like, well, what are the steps that I often use with patients individually working towards emotion? And I developed kind of a curriculum for that group. And from there, I started to see how each of these kind of interventions I did fit into the larger picture of kind of the affective neuroscience that I was kind of studying. And so I said, well, let's kind of put this together into like a new treatment approach. But instead of just saying, well, here's what I do and you should try it because I think it works great for me. I was like, well, let's ground it in the science. And so the book kind of has two parts where it's got like one part where I talk more about the background and the science and all what the brain areas mean. You know, if you're a science nerd, you can get into that. But if you're not, just go ahead and skip that section because the next section I talk about, oh, what do you do? How does that work? You know, and maybe as you get more into it, you might want to understand, well, what's going on in the brain behind that? But the most important thing is just like applying the interventions in a way that's going to be effective and how to think about patients differently from an emotional perspective where you might get better client outcomes than some of our traditional maybe uh, cognitive behavioral or psychodynamic perspectives. I love that you said you never set out to write a book because I think it's so funny how I think for a lot of us in life, we don't set out to do certain things and then those things just kind of fall into our laps or we are inspired and we're like, I'm going to do this thing. Oh, I thought about it. I was like, oh, I don't want to write a book. This is going to take forever. It's going to be so much work. But I, I would just started writing because I was interested in this and I wanted to get the word out there. It's like, I felt like this was such an important thing that I wanted to share with the clinicians. And then I talked to a publisher. I'm like, you know, is this something? I don't really want to write a book, but what, what do you think? Like, oh, we'll just go ahead and submit a, 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 like a perspective, I think they call it. So I was like, all right, let's see. Because I got it most together already anyways. I've already written this. I'm like, oh yeah, we think it'd be a great book. And I was like, oh, I'm like how long do you need it to be? And they're like, well, it's got, I'm like, oh my gosh. But then as I got writing, I was like, oh, I also want to talk about this. And I want to mention that too. And then the book kind of wrote itself. So it was fun to do. And so- you know, I was happy to, to write the book in that sense. But if you said you're going to write a book next year, you know, pre-pandemic, I would have been like, oh, uh, no, no, no. I'll, I'd rather do something else. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that speaks to how passionate you are about the subject. The fact that you said it was really fun. And as you started writing, you're like, oh, wait, I want to write about this. And I want to write about this. And so it just naturally... Yeah, I was able to bring together all my clinical interests and all my research background, and it just really meshed. And I was like, yeah, this really fits all the things that I've been doing, all this stuff I've been studying and trying to understand, both in the in the uh, clinical room with patients and doing the research and uh, teaching students and talking about this sort of stuff. I was able to kind of really tie it all together. Yeah. And yeah. as somebody that I don't do research currently, but obviously getting a PhD, <laughs> I did research for years as somebody that has read your book. I do appreciate the like research aspects and I, I feel like I could nerd out. Like I felt I was going back to like my bio psych classes <laughs> at the beginning, but then also then the clinical work, like you said, it's really two sections and I think it um, can uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like draw in different audiences regardless of I really wanted to um, appeal to people on a different level so if you've never heard the word neuroscience before you could still read through it and get something 
But if you're like, well, let me really try to understand why is this working? You know, why are we doing mindfulness? Why are we doing self-compassion? Why was forgiveness? You can go back and you can see how the brain changes and how different things uh, react as a result of these interventions. Hello, would you like to learn to meditate? Or perhaps you've meditated for quite some time. I started around 50 years ago. As you know, meditation is good for lots, including stress reduction, letting go of anxiety, self-exploration, and ultimately awakening. If meditation or awakening interests you, check out my podcasts on Awakening Together with William Cooper. All of them are free. Both the description and the link are in the show notes of this podcast. I know. I love that. And it's so cool to know that like our brain is constantly changing and adapting um, to things, which is awesome. Um, So we've talked about already in the time we have been talking emotions, 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 emotions. You talk in your book about the importance of focusing on emotions in therapy um, and specifically focusing on problems from like an emotion-based perspective. So why do you think it is so important to focus on emotions in therapy? And then you've kind of touched on this already, but um, wanted to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about how this emotions focused approach differs from many therapy modalities that maybe listeners would be more familiar with such as CBT. Yeah. All right. This is a great question. So, you know, in my training, I, my master's degree was like kind of in cognitive behavioral therapy. My PhD was more focused, focused on psychodynamic and both of them really took the focus. Okay. So CBT working with behaviors and cognitions and, you know, with psychodynamic, you're trying to develop insight, trying to understand yourself better. And those both have value, but they never necessarily uh, directly have direct interventions for touching on the emotion. And at the time, you know, I think that the, you have like that ABC model, you have that activating event, the belief, the con- and the consequences, the emotion, and that changes. But there's really not much research support that when you change your thinking, it changes your, uh, your feeling. All right. Now, it can change uh, future feelings, right? You can maybe not personalize things as much. So you can uh, think about it uh, differently in a way that's maybe it's not as bad, but, you know, if you fell down and hurt yourself, you can't really think about that in a way uh, to make yourself feel better. It it hurts, right? And so a lot of emotions are are like that. So let me give you an example of how, you know, I might look at this in practice. I worked at the VA and a lot of guys there with like road rage, anger issues, and they would come in, they'd be angry, like, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm anger. You know, I just, you know, need some skills, some deep breathing, help me calm it down and get rid of the anger. And they, they thought their anger was bad, right? So they want to just get rid of it, you know, help me get rid of it or I shouldn't have it. And um, as we get talking, right, if I get them to stay in therapy and not just, all right, you know, I just want to get out of here and I won't be angry anymore. Um, I would learn about their history. And oftentimes they had gone through trauma as kids. They had gone to wars they didn't want to go to. They had done stuff in wars they didn't want to do. Now, if you know anything about anger, whenever you're put in situations where you're forced to do things you don't want to do or things like that happen, you have no power, you get angry. So these guys had good reason to be angry. Of course they were angry from all the stuff they had gone through. But what would happen is that anger would get misattributed. 
which means like some little old lady would pull out in front of them, right? No one likes getting pulled out in front of them. I get angry when someone pulls out in front of me, but I don't go into a rage like these guys would. So someone would pull out from them and make them angry, but it actually not just activate their anger that moment, it would activate all their past anger. All right, so a lot of emotions that we have are often reminiscent of, the, uh, of past experiences. So they would get reactivated. So they get super angry, right? And then they try to run this woman off the road. Now, if you're in that state of a rage, of course you want to run the woman off the road because she, you know, you feel like she's like, you know, attacking you. But then they'd be like, oh my God, that was a, you know, old woman. She didn't, she didn't know what she was doing. She just pulled out in front of me. And then they feel shame about their anger, right? So they push it down. They didn't want to deal with it. They were embarrassed by it. All right. Now, if you took a traditional kind of cognitive approach, you just like, well, here's some skills to manage your anger. Count to 10, breathe deep, think about it differently. And that can help them manage the anger, but it never really gets to the root of the problem of where the anger is coming from, right? They could do psychodynamic therapy. They could understand insight. They could understand, oh, wow, you know, well, I went through all this trauma and that could have caused me to be angry, uh, you know, and I can see how all my history would have caused this, but they're still not making any kind of... Uh, behavioral or changes in, in the moment, right? So what we want them to do is be able to accept their anger, right? Hey, I'm angry. This one, I'm angry, but it's not about this woman. So I'm not going to try to run her off the road, but I'm going to deal now directly with my anger in vivo as I'm angry. And that would involve kind of calming it down like you would like with kind of behavioral skills. So that's useful there. But you also want to try to reconsolidate that anger, which means as you activate that anger, you also want to activate uh, a calmness. Or if they felt like they had no control when they were, you know, in, in wars or in childhood trauma, you'd want to give them a feeling of control. And what that does is it changes the emotion. So you're pairing that emotion with another emotion, all right, and kind of that through heavy in law, changing that emotional response. So the next time someone pulls out in front of them, they don't have as an extreme anger because they've repaired that emotion. I'm just listening and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much just listening to oh, you great. Yeah. <laughs> talk. But one thing I was thinking about when you were talking about like CBT, because I feel like that's the one therapy that everybody knows. One, well, just- it's, 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 um, has the most research, right? It's effective. However, if you look at the effect size, it's not that strong. It mm-hmm. works. It helps. It's useful. It's a great skill but it does not ameliorate all psychological sources. In fact, there's a lot missing. And that's why I wrote this book. Like I was working in a clinic where people were probably using CBT approaches and patients were getting better, but they weren't kind of getting to the root of the problem a lot of times. And they weren't working with the emotion. People don't come to me and say, hey, Lee, can you change my thinking? I'm just tired of thinking this way. They come and say, Lee, I feel horrible. Yeah. Make me feel better. And so really we want to be focusing on the emotion and how cognition affects that emotion. We want to intervene there but the primary focus should be on the emotion itself yeah no and listening to you talk and like thinking about just I mean I was trained CBT too I think vast majority of graduate programs are but like the whole premise is we change our thoughts and behaviors to in turn change the emotion or the feeling and we're not ever really addressed. It's kind of like a byproduct of yeah, working like, oh, on that. You know, if I behave differently, my emotion will change. Now, there's some of that to be true, right? If you're doing something that's hurtful and you stop doing it, yeah. But, you know, uh, I was reading through some of your papers, right? Earlier, you talk about self-compassion, right? And that's a great emotion intervention, right? Because right there, compassion means with the emotion, having passion for the emotion. And with that, that's actually, you're addressing emotion directly. 
So you're saying, hey, it's okay to have this feeling. Yes, anyone that's gone through the things that I went through is going to feel angry, is going to be okay with that. And when you have compassion for your anger, wow, well, that really opens up all the doors to work with it then. But if you have just shame for your anger and it's like, well, here, just manage your anger this way, that doesn't do anything to get rid of that shame. Yeah. The compassion, though, now you've done something to get rid of the shame so you can actually work more directly with the anger. So that's a great segue into something I did want to ask you about. Um, I was going to ask you a little later, but this is perfect. Yeah, yeah. Is In your book, you discuss a variety of techniques that do focus on emotions. Um, some of that you list are mindfulness, emotion validation, and self-compassion. So do you mind talking about some of these techniques? You can choose which ones and how people can implement them to increase their emotional awareness and address their emotions. So I always start with the first three techniques first. And first one's you can say mindfulness, uh, which is almost its own technique. Um, but the, really that's about being aware of the emotion. All right. And acknowledging what you're feeling. Sometimes people don't acknowledge what they're feeling, right. And they're acting, they're doing all sort of stuff underneath that as a feeling. Now, uh, mindfulness doesn't solve problems, right? So if you're depressed, Mindfulness is not going to make you not depressed, but it's going to make you aware of, oh, I am depressed. And the other thing that mindfulness or emotional awareness can do is it, it also helps you separate from that, that like, I'm not depression, I'm a person with depression. And so that helps you not feel so like aligned with your feelings. Yes, your feelings are part of you, but they're not all of you. And that makes it more manageable to deal with. If you just feel like, oh, I'm only this depression, I'm only this anxiety, it's really hard to work with it. If you say, okay, yes, I'm a person that's experiencing these emotions. Now you can kind of work with it. The next step is validation. All right. And here, what I mean is all our emotions are valid. All right. Sometimes like with these, these veterans, they were invalidating themselves. They're saying, oh, I shouldn't be angry. I have nothing to be angry about. Why am I angry? Well, invalidation is, is awful. You always want to validate every emotion. Now, every emotion may not be germane to the situation, right? Uh, I might be sad for no reason, right? Or what seems to be no reason, but I am sad. So I want to validate that. But then I want to say, well, you know, there's nothing going on in my environment that makes me sad. Maybe my sadness is not external. Maybe it's internal. Maybe there's something in my past. Maybe I have some uh, unresolved grief. And that's why I'm sad. So to be curious about your emotions, to validate them, they're all real. They're all valid. They just may not be germane to the situation, to what's going on. And so you may not understand, you know, a lot of times we don't understand why we feel the way we do. The next step is self-compassion. That's to be able to be kind to your feelings. A lot of people get mad. They're angry at themselves for feeling sad or for being angry. We want to have kindness for that. And then you can start kind of working with it. So then it's like, okay, I'm angry. All right, maybe I need to uh, set boundaries with other people. Maybe I need to forgive myself for uh, past things that I've done that make me angry because I'm angry at myself now. And you say, you know, that was old me. I got to forgive. And so after those three steps, then you can get kind of into the more nuanced steps of working with each emotion. You know, if you're sad, right, that, uh, you know, you can have sadness and that's normal, but a lot of times people, people don't want to be sad. So what do they do? They push it down. Shouldn't have that feeling. Shouldn't be sad. I'm going to be sad about it. No, I, my life's great. I got this great house. I got, you know, for a great husband, wife, right? Shouldn't be sad. So they push it down. Well, when you pushed it down, but you're, uh, you're, uh, you want to feel sad, you don't let yourself feel sad, that causes psychopathology. You're in a state of dissonance, right? That's going to cause depression. If you can say, you know what? I feel sad. It's okay. Allow yourself to have that feeling. Well, then it passes. And you may be able to say, oh, you know what? I'm still disappointed or sad. I'm about to lose my parents or my pet. If I can allow myself to have that emotion to grieve, then I'm not fighting with it, right? So I can go on about all these different emotions, but I think you get the idea of like, now we're going to work with the emotion directly. We're not going to say, oh, here's a way to regulate the emotion. 
all right, which is what cognitive behavioral therapy would do. Or here's a way to understand maybe why you feel that way, which is psychodynamic theory would do. It's no, here's what we're going to do with the feeling itself to try to make you feel better. Yeah. I wrote down so many notes while you were talking. And one thing that you kept saying when you were talking about like vets and certain emotions that I would say people would label as like negative or uncomfortable, like the anger, the sadness is I shouldn't feel this way. And that yeah. awful word shouldn't like it. Don't invalidate this- yourself. <laughs> I tell my patients, all your feelings are real. They're all valid. All right. They just might not be germane to the situation. Mm-hmm. All right. And you can't control how you feel. All right. Whatever you feel, as we feel, you can only show how you respond to your feelings. So if you're angry, you're angry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't try to, don't worry so much about why you're angry. About, okay. But what can I do with yelling at people? That's not going to help. Taking time to understand that, doing something to calm myself down, being nice. That's even better. So you don't try to control your feelings. Just try to control how you respond to your feelings. Mm-hmm. And on that line of validation, you also said something that I wrote down, which I love is be curious about your emotions and explore them with a curiosity. And, um, one thing that came to mind when you made the comment, like, I don't know why I'm sad. I have nothing to be sad about that. Curiosity can kind of lead you into, okay, what is there to be sad about? You know, is this something like, I I know you mentioned earlier childhood trauma that's coming up or why am I feeling this way? What is the circumstance? Cause I think a lot of times we look around and are like, everything should be, is fine. I shouldn't feel this way. And then we yeah. suppress it rather than that curiosity and openness to sitting with the more difficult feelings. Yeah. I have a lot of patients that often, I don't know why they're depressed. I don't know why they're sad. I don't know why they're anxious, but I find if we can accept that feeling, validate it and be curious about it, eventually we'll figure it out. And some people have like a lot of stuff, maybe like, Oh, you know what? I'm still anxious. I'm going to, you know, wind up being that kid in middle school that was picked on. Okay. Well, maybe that was really traumatic and that's going to cause you anxiety. So just because you're not that kid anymore. All right. You know, you think, oh, I shouldn't be anxious. Well, if you still have that idea inside yourself, that could happen again, that's going to cause anxiety. So let's just be curious. And then we got to try to work with that anxiety to recognize how we're different, to forgive ourselves, to let go of that, to move forward. And then that's going to start to change it. So you're not feeling anxious all the time. All right. I could sit there and say, hey, let's practice breathing techniques. Hey, let's practice relaxation, which is good because we want to regulate that emotion. But then we're never actually trying to understand what's what's causing the anxiety underneath. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this so much. And I obviously could talk about self-compassion for days because that's what I uh, researched in graduate school. But before I ask the next question, I was going to ask anything else kind of on this topic of like techniques focused on emotions or anything else you wanted to say before I move on? Well, the big one now is memory reconsolidation, what I call affect reconsolidation. And it's a little bit like extinction, but it's not extinction. They're different neurobiological processes. So like you might think about this, like we get trained in graduate school, like, oh, you have a dog, right? And then you expose person to dog and you change that feeling and that, right? And that can work really well with phobias. But the problem is like some with PTSD, you just want to throw them back into a war zone and say, hey, just time be calm, right? It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be ethical. It was the right reasons. So a lot of our emotions, right, are driven internally, right? From past trauma, from, uh, you know, previous events, from sadness. And we need to expose ourselves then internally. So we can't go externally and find a dog and, you know, regulate that in the extinction sense, we actually have to go inside and be okay with our uncomfortable emotions. And we can start to be okay with how we feel inside. Pretty much then the, the problems start to kind of loosen up and we kind of figure, figure out what they are. 
And affect reconsolidation is a specific technique or memory reconsolidation where you're pairing, all right? So say the person, oh, they felt worthless. You know, they were never given attention as kids. They felt worthless growing up. So you would take that worthlessness and then you would pair it with a feeling of worth. When you repair it, all right, that changes the, uh, the, 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 the neural pathways of that. And so then when you're in a situation that triggers that feeling of worthlessness again, it's like, oh, wait, wait, I could, I could have that re-traumatizing or no, I can actually remember that I love myself, that I have worth, that I have value. And when you can rewire that, then it's like, oh, okay. Now I don't have that sinking feeling of worthless anymore. I actually feel worth. And that is what Richard Lane would call enduring change, the neuroscience of enduring change. And this um, memory reconsolidation, if you look at the uh, literature, I call it affect reconsolidation. You're not changing the memory, you're changing the emotional response to the memory. I love that. And I love that you, and you've brought this up a couple of times, uh, the, the idea of pairing, cause, and I'm going back to like basic psych 101 when you're learning about like Skinner and the, all the behavioral techniques, but that really is what we need to do, especially, I no, mean, you know, way more. Look at the word repair. It means to fix, but what does it mean? Repair it means to take something and pair with something else, right? So you're taking an old feeling of worthlessness and then pairing with a feeling of worth, you're repairing it. So repairing, it means the, is as a, you know, when you repair something, you fix it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So something else that you talked about um, in your book is bottom up and top down attention and emotion. And it was something really interesting to me. So I was wondering if you could talk about the differences in bottom up and top down attention and emotion, and then how it applies to psychotherapy. Oh, sure. So this is getting to like the ADHD science and all that sort of stuff. There's really kind of like two, two kind of like large attentional networks in our brain. One's kind of like that top down. It's like, you know, you're home studying, you're doing your homework. You're like, I got to focus here. You know, I'm going to turn the music off. I'm going to, you know, have it quiet. And the other is kind of our salience network, which is kind of a bottom up. And that's like things in the environment that are exciting, capture our attention, right? So if a tiger walks in the room, even if we're like got a important test to study for, we're going to drop that. And we're going to study for that. And so it can be sometimes hard to focus when you're really bothered by something else. And this is why sometimes like emotional problems, right, get in the way of cognitive performance, doing well at school. So if you're focused on, I don't know, being depressed, because that's, you know, it's such a salient thing for you, it's hard to turn that off and, and engage the executive uh, function network to say, hey, I got to study, I got to let go of this, I got to do this. Now, if you really kind of go back to like the basics of the brain, you could say, okay, you got this thinking brain and you got this feeling brain. And when I taught psychology, I tell my students this, right? So, you know, you got a test tomorrow, but then your friend says, hey, let's go out. We're going to have pizza. We're going to have beer. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be super fun. What do you do? Right. And then you kind of got the devil on one shoulder, the angel, like I should stay home and study, but I really want to go out. Right. And you know, you can try to make it, you can, you can say, all right, I got to stay with study, but you're going to resent it. You're going to be like, oh my God, I wish I went out. Okay. And that's not really, that's not really a great feeling. Or you could go out, but then you feel guilty because you felt like you should have stayed home and studied. Right. So, you know, there's no winning there. Right. Well, the way we solve that, right. The way we resolve that dissonance between kind of the, the top down, the way I think I should be, and maybe the way that I feel or what I want to do is to try to integrate those different brain areas. All right. So what you would do is you try to say, you know, hey, I also have a feeling about staying and studying. Like, I really want to do well in school. I want to graduate. I want to get grades. Like, that's really important to me. And so I want to activate that, that feeling, too. 
And I also have a thought about going out. Like maybe I can go out next weekend or I can see if my friends go out another time. Or, you know what, actually I studied a lot for this test and I feel like I know it pretty well. So maybe it's okay that I go out, right? And when you can integrate both your thinking and feeling around one decision and you're thinking about another decision, then you can make a sound decision. You can go out and feel good about it. Or you can stay home and study and feel good about it. I and love that. that. Integrating those two networks. I love that. And that was such a good example of like the studying and going out. Cause I think that's right. Something- Don't you have that problem? I have it sometimes too. I'm like, Oh, I really want to do this, but I feel like I should do that. And then I start to say, okay, Lee, what's important. What do you want? And when I can, you know, feel my anxiety or my stress or my guilt and accept it and work with it, then I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. Or it, it just, the answer then appears to me. It's like, you know what? I'm going to study for a little bit and then I'm going to meet them later and go out. And it's exactly it's not that difficult. Yeah. Coming to uh, the word coming to mind is like a compromise, but really it's a process of figuring out what's important to you. Um, looking at all the, I say evidence. I feel like I'm in therapy, like evidence. Yeah, board, that's evidence all about like, right. Like accepting like our guilt, if we stay home or our guilt, if we go out or, you know, our, our FOMO feelings, if we uh, <laughs> stay home, right. All of that. So we have to access and accept those feelings. These are difficult feelings. It's uncomfortable. FOMO, guilt, not a good feeling, but if we can accept that, be kind to it, then like the decision makes itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you have talked about so much. I've loved our discussion. So as we're wrapping up, is there anything I have not asked about that you would like to touch on, discuss related to effective neuroscience, your book, anything? Well, the one thing I think I said earlier, I really like about my book is like, you know, it's, it's for everybody. Now you're not going to understand certain parts if you don't have the neuroscience background, but that's okay. Just skip through them, you know? That's not important. You're right. It's important. What, what really is important here is like being able to see that like, hey, um, I'm a clinician and I feel like all my patients aren't getting as well as they could be. Or maybe I'm a patient. I feel like, you know what? I've been in therapy for years, but I still feel like I'm not making the progress I want to make. I want, I'm looking for something new, something for a change. Let me pick up this book, listen to this podcast, because I think there's some great nuggets in here and see like maybe where I've thought like, okay, you know, I've changed my behaviors. I've changed my thinking. It hasn't worked out. I've talked about my family and my childhood for two years in therapy. Now I still don't get the, okay, maybe we need to incorporate some of these new emotional based interventions, right? Because emotions really why people are in therapy. People, people go to therapy, they feel bad. We can incorporate these like, let's, let's try to bring that to your therapist. Try this with your patients. Try this with new clients. Because I think there's a wealth of, of uh, things here that can really make uh, therapy move from kind of this black box, all these different camps and modalities arguing to a more holistic paradigm of how to treat people. I love it. And I know I kind of said this earlier, but as you were talking, you just said it again, like emotions are the thing that bring people to therapy. Like yeah. it's because they're, it's something that they want to change. Or even if it's a situation they want to change, they want to change how they feel about the situation. So it's so interesting that so many of the like interventions that we use and are taught and people are familiar with are not primarily. But I want to learn more about my childhood. No, like, you know, Woody Allen, I say, that guy's been in therapy for years. He knows why he's depressed. He knows why he's neurotic. But he's still depressed and neurotic, right? Because he's not working with his feelings. He's got a good understanding very intelligent, could probably write a case study on himself, but hasn't really dealt with his emotional work, which is difficult. Like I get it. That's why this approach I think has been neglected is because 
having our feelings and dealing with our feelings is hard. Like no one wants to be like, okay, let's talk about depression again. Like no one likes to feel that way. Mm-hmm. But if we can acknowledge the value in being with our difficult feelings, being with our sadness, being with our anxiety, being with our trauma, wow, I think we can really make headway with psychotherapy. Oh, definitely. And like you just said, sitting with feelings is hard and difficult. And I think our society is so focused on the positive, like, oh, happy, joyful, excitement. And then we kind of just push the I know you go on like Instagram or Facebook or everybody's happy. Yeah. No one's talking about like I was sad today. And well, I practice self-compassion, you know. So it's kind of like we kind of have this idea that we're not supposed to be sad or sad when really no sadness, um, you know, difficult anger. These emotions are all part of us. And if my patient's like, oh, I don't get angry, I'm like, well, then that's a problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I don't like to be sad. Well, then that's a problem, right? We need to be able to incorporate it. When we can have our anger, have our sadness and, and be okay through it, then we're not fighting with it. And we don't have psychopathology. Mm -hmm. They're all natural human emotions that we all experience. Well, thank you so much, uh, Lee, for joining me today. So the last question I ask all my guests is where can people connect with you? And for you, where can people buy your book? Sure. Well, my book's on Amazon. It's on Rutledge, Affective Neuroscience and Psychotherapy, A Clinician's Guide to Working with Emotions. That's the title. You can also go to my webpage. It's drfrancisstevens.com. And you can find out more about me. Uh, I've written other papers. I used to be like, before I wrote this book, I was doing more academic papers. So if you're interested in that type of thing, you can find more about me on there. Um, Yeah. You know, feel free to uh, drop me any questions. Uh, this is something that I really want to get the word out about. I'm not trying to like, uh, sell a lot of books. I don't make much money on this. I (laughs) do much more of the other patients, but I think this is such a great, uh, thing. I've seen so much of my patients get so better with this approach that I really want to see, uh, the field change and integrate more affective interventions. That doesn't mean you have to throw away your CBT or your psychodynamic therapy. That's useful too. But if we can integrate emotions more into that, we're going to be so much richer. I love that. And I will put your links in the show notes and your website, direct link to your book. And um, yeah, I think integrating the more knowledge we have and the more evidence that we can find to help our patients and the more we can integrate all those things, the better outcomes there are going to be. Yeah. It's all about people getting healthier. Exactly. Um, So thank you once again for joining me today. And thank you, the listeners, for joining for today's episode of Psych Talk. And I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.